0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Revolution Recap, as the Revolution picked up a point on the road at Columbus with a two-two draw against the Columbus crew. Uh, The Revolution fell down early in this one on a Andrew Farrell own goal in just the ninth minute. Uh, But came back just five minutes later with Tail Dunbar equalizing, uh, only to again fall back behind with Jossie Zardes getting a 43rd-minute goal. And then uh, the Revolution again deep into stoppage time in the first half equalized through Christian Panilla. And then a a second half that could have gone either way saw the the game finish at 2-2 as the Revolution pick up another point in the road uh, we talked about how difficult it was for them to get points in the road last year, so it's a good sign for the Revolution to see them get a, a, a draw in this one. Uh, a lot to dissect in this one. I think all of us have, have different takeaways. There were certainly some good things from this game and some bad things from this game. Uh, but the, the story this week, according to hood coach Brad Friedel, uh, who Brian talked to uh, at Revolution practice, uh, he was trying to get everyone to talk about Diego Fagundo. So let's start there, as Diego Fagundes was again in the number 10 role uh, in this one. Brian, what do you think of Diego's performance uh, for the revolution of this game,
1: I think it was—it's uh, was certainly an improvement over the game that he had against FC Dallas, uh, which obviously is a good thing for the Revs, and it, and it really showed. By the way, the offense was operating. Um, you know, it, early on, it looked like uh, it looked like Columbus was doing basically the same thing that Dallas was doing. They were really kind of clogging, staying compact, and really clogging the central channel. Um, and you could see some of the or those early struggles early on in the game that the the Revs were just having a hard time. Uh, breaking that defense down, and obviously it wasn't until they started operating at a faster pace that they're able to exploit holes and um, find some goals. So um, I think I think as as Friedland, as a lot of people have seen, uh, have said and seen, um, F- Fagunis is really the best option at that number ten, uh, given the way given the way that uh, the high press works. Um, you know, he does do a lot of running, and he does have a lot of energy, um, and he is willing to really go. Go at goal and, and really kind of make make the shot or make the uh, make the key pass, um, and continue to stay that way basically throughout the game. So um, I think it was a it was another encouraging performance. Uh, obviously, he didn't get on the stat sheet uh, in terms of goals, um, in terms of goals or assists, but um, but it's still encouraging encouraging night for him nonetheless. And uh, you know he almost he almost broke uh, broke open um, a pina a, a panea shot. I mean. A goal uh, that almost that was saved by uh that was a, saved by uh, Stefan later in the game. So I think he had a I think he had a strong performance. Chile really didn't do anything to uh to 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 have uh, Friedel look look in look in another direction as far as who his number ten is. Um, uh, but it's also you know given the fact that Wynn wasn't in the 18 again. It, I think it's another another sign that Friedel truly believes that not only is Fagun is his number ten, but um, that there's really not going to be much if any competition from Win unless something changes uh, behind the scenes.
2: Yeah. And I, I think Fagundes also had a great game yesterday. Um, not only did he make that pass to um, Panea that was saved by Stefan, but there was that play in the 86th minute late in the game where uh, he kind of held the ball and led Panea perfectly in. And I think the defender behind Stefan made the, cleared the ball uh, right before it rolled in. So uh, Fagundes had some really, really great passes yesterday and, um, And we'll get to the Lee Win situation in a minute, but I think this week we've learned a lot more about that situation, and I think that um, Brad Friedel has a lot of faith that Fagundes is not just going to be the 10 right now, but I think he's really grooming him for that position long-term. I think Fagundes still has some work to do. He sometimes doesn't seem as confident with it, but um, he's great at leading a counterattack, and he seems to be... Uh, have a really strong connection with Pinias. So uh, I, I was really encouraged yesterday with Fagundes, despite him not getting on the stat sheet. Stat sheet.
0: Yeah, and we should note he got three key passes again, which is his average for the season is three key passes per game, um, which is you know a, a good stat to see from your number 10. Uh, interesting note, he only had 34 passes total in this game, as the, the Revolution in general uh, didn't have as much of the ball as maybe you would have would have liked to have seen from them. 49 total touches from Fagundes. Um, but you know he did, did make... The most of a lot of those touches with some, some great dangerous play. Uh, I agree it was a much better performance from him this week. Um, but but in saying that, Brian, I know you you discovered some information and reported some some more news on Lee Win this week. So I'm I'm curious if you could uh, break down a bit about what you heard in the Lee Win situation.
1: Yeah, uh, according to a source, Lee Win asked actually originally asked for a trade at the start of last year. So um, that was some kind of uh, interesting news that uh, that that I kind of uncovered. That uh, kind of gives it gives that situation a little bit more of dynamic instead of having just the off season to trade if it's true instead of just having the offseason uh, to for the team to trade to trade win, they basically had all of last year to trade him. Um, which is interesting because obviously he had one of his best seasons in New England um, while he uh, while you know shortly after that request was made that original request was made so um, kind of makes kind of puts more of the burden. Uh, you know puts more of the blame on on mike burns for not getting that done um, obviously you know you can understand the dynamic uh you know no no general manager no technical director is going to want to trade their best player you know just just because he asked for it but at the same time uh the fact that there was no resolution that no resol- resolution came about during the season last season um, and that it spilled into this year is kind of uh, is kind of an indictment on the front office it's not Either not managing the situation, one way or another, not managing the situation uh, to to the way in which we have a resolution, because obviously there is no resolution at this point. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see what they do with uh, Wynn. Personally, I don't think he'll ever. Uh, I don't think he'll ever play for the Revs again. I think it's a situation that Friedel's made, you know, made his point um, that Fagunis is the number ten, and that you know the person behind him essentially is probably going to be Zachary Aravo um, and it's interesting because it, it maybe it's connected maybe it's not so connected but if you look at the if you look at the other surprising decision that Friedel made this year it's at goalkeeper and it's at and it's with Matt Turner um, obviously at the starting goalkeeper but you also see Cody Cropper go from 1 to 3 so Cody Cropper's also not in the 18 so it's it's a really interesting way in which i don't know if the two are connected or if the two are kind of uh, you know the basically just Friedel's style of how he is, you know, integrating players that he wants going forward. But he really takes their next competition, their next competitor, at least on the at least on the uh, death chart, you could say, and really kind of kind of taking them out of the picture. So it's basically, you know, it's Diego's job, and there's really no he doesn't have essentially wind breathing down his back. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting, um, and it's. Uh, it's uh, it, it, it looks very much like Lee Wynn's already played his last game to the Rebs.
2: I would go further and say I don't think we're ever going to see Lee Wynn in the 18 ever again. Um, and I, as this week has gone on, I, I think learning that Lee Wynn asked for a trade request last year is a game changer in terms of how I view the entire situation. Uh, yeah, Lee Wynn going through an entire season uh, after requesting a trade, um, it makes me a little bit more sympathetic towards him. Um, I think, you know, yes, he did sign a contract that runs through two more seasons, but, um, you know, if if you have a player who's unhappy, there's kind of an expiration date until either he stops trying or he, he doesn't gel with the team anymore. You know, I, I think probably at the time, Jay Heaps and Mike Burns, they were on the hot seat, so They didn't want to trade their best player and rebuild, but yeah, you come into this offseason, I feel like that'd be a priority to maximize your value. Um, I don't necessarily b- blame Friedel coming in. I think he kind of wanted to see Diego uh, try the number 10 and, and, again, build this team up uh, kind of as a long-term rebuild. Um, he, I assume he doesn't see Lee win in his future plans. So it, it makes sense from his perspective. He doesn't know Lee win anything. Um, but for Lee win to a request to trade last year and for the front office to hold on to him this long to it gets to this point. And, and the other thing too, that I was going to say is that they got an offer for 750,000 allocation money. Uh, if that's considered under market, it, it probably takes into consideration the fact that everyone knows Lee Wynn is on the trading block and that they're not using him. They could have dealt Lee Win at any point over this off season and they wouldn't have had offers with that discount. If they were publicly marketing them, marketing Win for trade, before any of this came out, they would have traded him away. It, they would have gotten a much better deal out of it. So um, I think the front office bears some blame to, to Lee Wynn being held on for this long. And I can't imagine they're ever going to play him again, even in an Open Cup game. I think it's just at the point where they know they're trading him. And I, I mean, I think they don't want to risk any injury. Uh, and and the other thing, too, is that Bradfield kind of made it sound like Lee Wynn's might not be that competitive in training, too, which I know he has a strong emphasis on. So um, I think it's just a situation where we're waiting to see if Lee Wynn goes before May 1st when the window closes or if we're trading him over the summer. I think that's the only question that remains.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a great point, and that's the the news that Lee Wynn apparently asked for this trade beginning of last season or at some point last season. Um, And you look at what Lee Wynn did last year after that when, you know, allegedly he didn't want to be here, uh, scored 11 goals and 15 assists and had, you know, one of his best seasons in Revolution uniform. And you look at what this Revolution team has been the past two years. Last year, a, a, you know, a big struggle. They missed out in the playoffs, finished 11-14-9. The year before, missed out. Uh, last year, 13-15-6. The year before, 11-14-9. Missed out in the playoffs both years, finished 7 in the East. You know, Lee Wynn, 6 goals, 10 assists two years ago. Um, you could tell that this team wasn't a contender. Lee Wynn, meanwhile, turning 31 31 going into this year. You understand now you know, why he would want to perhaps go somewhere else that looked closer to being a contender. He's given you know the best years of his career to this team and become a club legend. And and yes, I get where the team's coming from, in which they've you know a couple times renegotiated his contract when they didn't have to, when he still had years left. Uh, but I completely understand why a guy in Lee Wynn doesn't want to be part of you know, a changing system and a rebuilding year when he's 31 years old, you know, not that many years left of his prime. Uh, and has an opportunity to perhaps go somewhere else where he can actually contend and be in a team that's, that's, that's ready. Because I, I look at this team, this roster, and going into this season, and I still think they're, you know at best, a year away from being in any conversation for contending, that they're not there yet. Um, and I'm sure Lee Wynn sees the same thing. And it, it, it makes sense to me that a guy 31 in that situation you know, may want to go somewhere else. So I, I feel more sympathy now that I hear that you know he asked for a trade a year ago and gave this team time and, and gave all that he could Last year with 11 goals and 15 assists, um, I don't think we're going to see him this year. I agree with, with, with Brian and, and Greg that you know I'd be shocked to see him in the 18 at this point. Um, but it, it, I just, again, I have a lot more sympathy for him hearing that. And it, it, Again, why are you waiting this long to make this trade, especially now that Brad Friedel has made it pretty clear um, that Lee Wen is not the best fit for his system? Um, I, I just don't know what they're waiting for at this point. And, and $750,000 for a guy who's, who's 31 and isn't part of your plans seems like a reasonable offer to me.
1: Yeah, and just to kind of go back on uh, the whole situation, it, the, the dynamic with, um, with Friedel and with Wynn is the fact that it's obvious that Friedel inherits a player who's already disgruntled, and that kind of puts him in a tight spot. And for him to basically inherit that from Mike Burns from uh, from last year, you know, kind of puts him in, in a spot where he has to answer questions from us about, you know, why... Why isn't Lee playing? Why isn't you know Lee training? And you know, do I think that's a little bit of a cl- cl- clash of the egos? I kind of do think it is. Um, I do kind of I can see where maybe Wynn isn't wouldn't be as motivated to um, really give it his all in training if he's looking at uh, a new coach who's em- employed a system that doesn't work to his strengths. And then I also look at Friedel as a coach who wants to get everyone up there and he can't get the buy-in from somebody who doesn't want to be there. So it's kind of like a tough situation for both. It's really just, you know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, whose whose will breaks first, um, and it's kind of it kind of looks like that. The only thing that's going to happen from this situation is that, you know, Mike Burns is probably gonna have to, is is going to have to own up to the situation and say, okay, we need to move, we need to move in, we have to get the best available offer. We may not get the best, we may not get the offer that we're looking for, uh, the ideal offer, but we have to take some sort of offer because, as you mentioned on Twitter earlier earlier this week, Sean, at what point do you just say? You know, at one point, is this situation impeding progress? And um, you really do have to look at the big picture. You have to look at, you know, wh- where are these? Where is the team's needs elsewhere besides, you know, having a player who's disgruntled? and you're sitting basically on fifty five hundred thousand dollars, and you have a potential seven hundred fifty thousand dollar offer waiting in the wings if it's still there. So uh, imagine what you could do with that seven hundred fifty k, knowing that this team still has glaring needs and that the team this team is still in rebuild mode. Um, with a lot of er- with a few areas to address,
2: and I'd go another thing too. You mentioned that you reported Brian was it's causing some rifts in the locker room, and I think the Revolution have to be aware these all these GM surveys come out, and these um, you know these agent surveys come out, and these player surveys of where do you not want to play, and New England is always at the top, and you have to say I understand Friedel's perspective that. This is probably a team in rebuild mode. You want your young players to play. You want to get them minutes, and you want to figure out what you have. And Lee Wynn, realistically, is not going to be here next year, two years from now. So I, I understand his insistence on why Lee Win is not going to play and why he's not going to change his system for Lee Win when he's not a long-term player for the Revolution. But at the same time, the Revolution have to be aware that you can't bench your captain while you're receiving trade offers for him and just you know, letting him rot away on the bench. It's not a good look for the organization on how they treat their players. And someone, someone also brought up the fact, uh, Steve Newman a former New England soccer day contributor. Uh, he talked to the wall. He was in an article in the Washington post a a couple months ago about how he requested his trade or release from the revolution and they just didn't release him. And he had no future outside of that because they owned his MLS rights and he would have had to have left the MLS. And long story short, he had to retire at 25. Um, I know that comparing Steve Newman and Lee Wynn are apples and oranges, but it just kind of shows that that kind of thing with the revolution where, you know, in a league where the players don't have a lot of rights, um, you know, benching someone who's done so much for your organization, other players are probably looking at that like, well, how are they going to treat me? Um, So I I think the the situation, I understand Friedel's perspective and I understand Lee Wynn's perspective. I think Friedel uh, inherited a ticking time bomb and it's kind of exploding on him and he can't do a whole lot about it. Uh, But uh, the Revs front office uh, bears a lot of responsibility for this one. And if it's true, they're creating divisions. That's not a good sign.
0: Well, and, and you talk about Steve Newman, but let's go back even further and look at guys that, you know, did contribute a lot more to this team. Guys like Parkhurst and Jeff Runowitz who all left the team under, you know, not great terms and, and didn't want to come back here. Um, and, you know, that, that reputation sticks with this team. They, you know, Mike Burns was, was around back then. He's around now. You know, he's the constant with that. And you, you see guys that contribute so much to the team that don't want to be here anymore. That's worry worrisome, and you talk about the player survey and, and you know how people rate coming to the Revolution and comments there uh, that are negative. That you know pervades throughout the league. And uh, yes, again, you don't want to be held hostage by a player that's under contract and that is you know renegotiated with a few times. But at, at some point, you you would like to see the Revolution fix that reputation a bit, because to me it seems like there's no doubt there is a reputation out there that they're you know not necessarily always the best of their players. But on that note, I wanted to jump to another guy in this whole situation that we haven't really talked about, which is Kellen Rowe, who I think all of us, or at least I thought going into the season, was was going to be the favorite for that number 10 role, given the situation with with Lee Wynn. of course, Brad Friedel quite early on made his comments about Diego Fugundes and wanting to play him there known. Um, but if you're Calen Rowe, and, and yes, he's been injured the past two weeks. What what are you thinking about these comments right now, especially with, you know those comments that he would never take out his number ten in Diego in, in a game like that and uh, a couple weeks ago? And because you know, to me it seems like Calen Rowe right now, a guy who's 26 um, and had a chance to perhaps take over the reins of this team with with Lee Wynn on the outskirts. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious what, where his head is at, and, and if you guys have any thoughts on you know the Kellen Rowe situation because you know Calen Rowe is. You know, borderline national team guy. Now, if he's not playing, I would think that his head might be thinking about maybe moving somewhere else too.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think with Kalen Rowe, I think I think the the difference between him and him and Lee is the fact that um, you know, one thing that Heaps has always credited Rowe with is that uh, his tenacity. He's always he's always tracking back. He's always doing kind of like the dirty work um, in the rear. So I do think that he does have the leg up in the sense of that he looks like a guy who. Who, at least from what we've observed, looks like a guy that would probably get more more buy-in. Would probably buy-in more to the system of the high press. Um, whether or not he has the stamina and whether he has the conditioning to do that, especially coming off an injury, might take a little bit longer. But I think I think he looks. I think he's a guy that seems more apt to to kind of change his style in order to meet the needs of uh, of what Friedel is uh, trying to trying to uh, employ with the uh, with the high press. So, you know, obviously if if when if uh, I'm sorry, if Fagunis is the ten, then obviously that makes you know Roe kind of uh, probably more more of a winger, more of a reserve winger slash reserve ten uh, playmaker, and it's it's again, it's amazing to see how much, uh, even though there wasn't a ton of roster turnover, how much things have changed. And now they have Caicedo, and now that they have piniet those guys are obviously um, you know basically favorites going into. Uh, going into your, when, when putting together the 11. So, um, you know, Roll looks like a guy who's very much on the outside looking on the outside looking in and he does not look like a guy who, uh, you know, barring injury is probably going to be a regular starter. And like you mentioned, Sean, you know, he also has to be thinking whether or not he can, uh, whether or not he'll ever get back his spot and whether or not he may be looking to maybe ask for a deal out of town, because it looks like he does not look, he does not look like a player that is in, Rod Friedel's plans for the 11 going forward.
2: The one thing I will say about Rowe, though, is he's getting uh, quality minutes off the bench as kind of like a super sub. He's still making an impact on the offense, and he's still, um, I'll say, making an appearance. Uh, He he still seems to have a lot of influence on the game when he comes into the game. So I wouldn't put it past him to crack the starting 11 eventually. Um, I'd imagine, too, with his versatility, he can replace anyone Uh, in the event of an injury or anything like that. But yeah, I I assume he's pretty discouraged. And he's another great asset the Revolution have that you'd think if you're going to use him in a super sub role, you could get more from him as trade value. Because I'm sure a lot of teams would love to have Kellen Rowe. I'd imagine his trade value is higher than Lee Wynn's value based on his age and potential. So uh, yeah, it's a bit of a strange situation seeing him come off the bench considering what we know he can do. Um, but I, I wouldn't write him off totally just yet from uh, a starter when he returns from injury.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree that Kellen Rowe has a skill set that you'd think could fit Brad Friedel's system in the sense where you know, we talk about Lee Wen and perhaps he's not the best at tracking back, and you know, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, but Kellen Rowe, who's, who's seen play left back, and do that very well. We know can get stuck in defensively, and we know can can, can do all those roles. Um, and it, you know, we saw Scott Caldwell go to the bench this week, and I wonder if Kellen Rowe was available, if maybe he would have been you know, maybe an, another option instead of putting Aguadelo on the wings. Uh, but, you know, my my big thought here is it, it seemed to me like Kellen Rowe was always the guy that was waiting on the wings and was playing everywhere else. Uh, but his best spot was in the center. And with the opportunity for Lee Wynn to move on, that he had a chance to, to take that over. Now that he doesn't have that chance, and I, I, it just seems like it would take a lot for, for Fagundes to move out of that spot um i you do have to wonder you know what he's thinking and he's a guy with ties to to seattle and i don't know if that would be something in the future but um as a u.s national team player as a borderline u.s national team guy he needs to be be making minutes to you know keep getting opportunities for that team so uh, that'll certainly be something to watch going forward but uh, i wanted to move on to the other takeaways we had from this game greg what what were your main takeaways from the revolutions 2-2 draw with columbus
2: uh i i just want to make a general well my first takeaway is that i was totally wrong about any baba last week i think he had a great game probably his best game in a, a revs uniform but my big takeaway is that uh, it's nice to see this revolution team not put their head down uh on the especially on the road uh i think that andrew farrell goal yesterday the, the revs of old i imagine would kind of pack it in but uh they came back they had a quick response Went down 2-1, again had another response. At no point yesterday did you feel like the Revolution were out of the game or you know, it was, it was just going to be another night at the office where they go on the road uh, and they go down. Uh, they seemed to fight the whole way through, and they they took away a very tough point. Uh, and I think the Revolution team from last year or two years ago, that on goal happens, and you just kind of get that feeling of it's going to be one of those games, and they pack it in. So uh, I, I think the Friedel mentality – of uh, working hard and and kind of that grit uh, is paying off already.
0: Yeah, and you, and you mentioned Andy Baba. I thought he had you know was the player of the match for the Revolution. I I lost count of the number of blocks that he had, uh, but to see him get stuck in there and you know, we, we talked about last week about maybe De Delemae would come in. I think all of us thought that was a possibility, um, but <laughs> Andy Baba proved Friedel right that that he was the right choice for this match. Without Andy Baba out there, I think the Revolution would have lost. Lost this one, so that's you
2: know, a good point. Yeah, absolutely. the only The only I'll say criticism, even though it wasn't really criticism, was on the Zardes goal. He got beat. Yeah, uh, but that was just a really nice play by Zardes. I don't think De La Mea does any better. Um, so I, I can't criticize him last night. I, I, and the other thing too is I think the the back line, as usual, was at in the first half they were extremely shaky. I think Somi has had a really really tough go here uh, in, in his start of, as a, in his Revolution tenure. Um, his defense is not much of an upgrade from Tierney in my opinion uh, I'm kind of getting a little uh I'm, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic on him but uh, everyone else at times were shaky the second half was a lot better with uh, dina and Farrell and, and Anibaba really stepping up uh, but any was really the only consistent player uh, on along that back line yesterday and that was something really really good that and it and I did not. I criticized him last week. I, I think he had a really good performance this week. And uh, I think the Any de la Maya conversation has gotten a little bit quiet, a lot quieter actually, well, uh, compared to last
0: week. Well, there's there's a lot in there that I want to comment on. But I, the first point I and I want to talk about solely as, as my takeaway. But the the first point though is I'm just curious what what you guys thought about this. And and again, I thought Anibaba had a great game. I I do agree that he was at you know partially at fault in that Zardes goal. You know he let him cut inside on him, and that wasn't his. Yeah, you know, that was his, his low point of the game. But Something that I feel like I've never really seen out of anyone before is the way Annie Baba reacted every time he made those great blocks was he got completely pumped up about himself and, and, and the plays he made there, which is great, and I love seeing that passion. But I feel like you know nine times out of ten you see something like that and you see the defender get up and yell at his other defenders for the awful defensive breakdowns that caused him to be put in that position in the first place. And I just don't know what to make about that. Is, is it a good thing that he's doing that? Is it a, you know, a neutral thing? Because um, I, I I almost wonder, is there is there not enough... You know, and, you know he's not the captain, but is there not enough leadership from this back line as far as getting angry when, when guys are not where they should be and are making these mistakes? Because it was just interesting to see that reaction as opposed to what you'd expect to see, which is, you know, where were you guys? Why did you leave me hung out to dry like that?
2: You know, uh, one thing, too, I'll add, I, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but one thing I will add is that this back line, there were a lot of open guys, on that back line. I don't know if, if there's communication issues or whatever, but the, the moment that stood out to me was Zardes, let a, cra- a a low cross onto Hanson along the back post and Hanson just it would a wide open net. If he had made contact, it would have been a goal. I mean, there are a lot of players that have been street were streaking into the box yesterday, unmarked, seemingly unmarked. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a communication thing, uh, but, it doesn't surprise me that when something like that happens, they get fired up. In fact, I, I will say, too, the Andrew Farrell own goal, it, it, in real time, it didn't make sense to me why he headed that ball because Turner was there, but he was guarding Zardes on that play, on that cross, and he took the, the man with the ball, and I don't think he thought Claude Yelna was back. I think he thought Zardes was wide open, and he had to block that ball or else it would have been a tap-in. Uh, so some, the rotation or, or something along that back line, it's still in the works. And I think the thing, I
1: think that, I know it's the same thing, Greg, and I think the thing, the, the disconcerting thing is the fact that you have your captain at center-back opposite Anibaba, and if it just seems like D'Elna was not making the kind of plays that you expect him to make, and you're right, it, did, it didn't seem like there were instances where there was obvious miscommunication or, you know, there were just, the communication certainly wasn't there, and um, and I think some of the blame has to fall on Diallo on that, because Diallo is your captain, and if you're going to have one player on that team Who's who's got to be the most vocal? It's got to be him, and I don't think he's giving enough, or at least he's not making it easier for his uh, for his backline to communicate. And that's really on him. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see you know if that improves. I mean, it seems like Friedel's basically said, you know, it's Annie Bob and Delma going forward, unless unless somebody gets hurt, or unless you know, May hasn't has an outstanding week of, of training, uh, you know, before one of game one of the games. But um, you know, it. To me, that that that's an indictment on on D'Allen. I think Downline needs to do better, uh, making sure his 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 defenders are on the same page, and that everyone, including goalkeepers, is on the same page when when uh, Columbus you know runs that goal because Columbus was basically do, basically doing a lot of the same things the Reds were doing. They were they were moving fast, they were moving the ball really quick, and uh, there were times in which you know, like you said, like that 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 chance that set that um, that uh, Harrison Awful just missed at the far post. It was. It was it was close. It was really close. I mean, that that could have made it could have made it three two. So um, you know, there were near, near misses on both sides, but um, there's certainly a lot to clean up in the rear uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to this back line.
0: I do want to give Deion some credit because correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was him towards the end of the game who got back on Zardes and made that game saving tackle that you know had he had he messed up on could have been a penalty kick or would have been a, a breakaway one way or the other. Uh, but w- with that said. <laughs> there were just way too many situations in this game where it took plays like that from down there or plays like that from any Baba to keep the crew off the board. And, and, and you know, that's not the type of style of defense that you want to see uh, the revolution playing. Um, but that brings me to my takeaway, which is about the fullbacks and, and Greg touched on it earlier uh, as far as Somi. And I just don't think we're seven games in now and, uh, certainly there was a, a leash at the beginning to give him time to adjust. But I, I really just haven't been impressed with Somi on the defensive end. Uh, one-on-one defending, and, and, and Greg hinted at this too, um, the big thing for me with Chris Tierney was as age caught up to him and you know, even when he was a bit younger, one-on-one defending was never – Great asset of his. Um, and we were hoping that Somi would be better at that and that that's, you know, he would step in and fill that role. And I, I honestly don't think he's been any better than Chris Tierney at one-on-one defending. Um, and in this system that Brad Friedel plays, I think there's a lot more pressure on guys like Somi to be good at that. I think they're left out to dry on the wings a bit. Um, and, and need to get better at that opportunity. And the Revs need a lot of help defensively from these wingers and from these fullbacks. Uh, and Somi, I just don't think, is capable of it. There's a few times in this game where we just saw him get turned and, and beat uh, by guys running down the wing. And it's been a, a theme throughout this season. Um, you know, On the other wing, and we should note that you look at the who scored ratings, uh, the two lowest-rated players outside of Zahibo were, were Farrell and Andy Bob out of the starting lineup for, for the Revolution. Um, and I don't think that's, that's wrong looking at this game. Yeah, Andrew Farrell scored that own goal, and you know there wasn't, like you said, lack of communication, but there wasn't that much pressure on him, and I, I don't think there was too much of an excuse for Farrell to, to do that. Um, and then Somi, I thought, got beat over and over again. And, and on the flip side, I don't think either of these two players provide enough offensively to make up for their inefficiencies or their flaws on defense. Uh, Somi was actually taking some corner kicks in this game and I think they were all pretty horrible Um, the Revolution in general's corner kicks were pretty horrible uh, but neither of these two guys when they get forward offensively seem to be that much of a threat and to add that to their issues on defense um, I think fullback is very much a spot that the Revolution need to look at improving. Uh, Am I being too harsh on on Somi and and Farrell or (laughs) are, are you guys concerned too?
2: No, I, I agree with everything you said. And just to correct you, I think you said Farrell and Annie Baba had the worst score. It was Farrell – you meant Farrell and Somi. Yeah, Somi, Somi, sorry. Just to avoid confusion. Yes, yes it was Somi, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Somi's aspect is that he provides speed along the left wing. I, I understand why he's there. But, I mean, going back to that game in Philadelphia where Somi uh, – the, the, the attacker just went right around him. We talked about that in week one. Uh, last night I believe it was Hanson who uh, Matt Turner came up with a great, great save. But I mean, that guy just went right through Somi and had a clear shot on net. Uh, his defensive skills are not great, from what I have seen. I think the appeal is that he can go up and play wing back and be involved in the offense, and and that part of his game is fine. Uh, but. I think he's such a liability right now on defense. Maybe he he improves. Maybe he's just had a rough uh, starting patch. But uh, I, I don't think any of your criticisms are invalid. Uh, the other thing, too, with Farrell is that I'm surprised he goes up so much. I mean, he Brian, I think you have the joke that uh, Andrew Farrell shouldn't go across the the halfway line. Uh, but he does. He goes and he gets involved in the offense. Uh, he's crossing the ball, which is not his strong suit. Uh, that's something that maybe Brandon Bay would be uh, more accustomed to doing. But, um, and the other thing too is it leaves, we talk about the revs pushing up forward and how there's communication along the back line. I I think that they get caught, uh, you know, with their hands in the cookie jar sometimes when they're going up against someone like Zardes who can just, you know, take advantage of the fact that there's two center backs sitting back there without any wing backs. Um, That was a great tackle by Dielna. Uh, That had to be an inch perfect tackle. Uh, But yeah, you you have to really question the, the wing backs at this point. Yeah, and, and not to like pile it on Farrell, but I remember looking at the uh, I remember
1: looking at replays of of uh, of the of Zardes goal, and I just I remember seeing Farrell just basically jogging back on that play like like there's no urgency and and it just seems like you know if you're gonna track if you're gonna track for if you're gonna like push up then you really got to be sure you got to go back you got to track back when uh, when when the other team's in transition and you know. It'd be one thing if Farrell didn't have the speed, but we know Farrell has the speed. So you have to think of, you have to wonder if, what, where the effort is and where, where I guess you, you, you could say the soccer IQ is because there have been a few times, there were a few times last night where, you know, guys were going on left and right um, for, for Columbus. And Somi, Somi was a little bit better, but they were certainly figuring themselves out. Uh, Columbus was getting a lot of opportunities out on the right. Um, but there were, there were times where there was plenty of space on the left for Columbus. And Farrell's, like, nowhere to be seen. So, I mean, I, I just think that at this point, I think if we're going to be harsh, we have to be a little bit more harsher on Farrell because he does have the speed. He does have the skill set. You know, we saw in his rookie year, and he just seems to have continued to have regressed. Um, and I think that's, you know, from, from an observer's point of view, it's kind of frustrating because you know he has the talent and skill to do it. He just, for whatever reason, just cannot put it together for an entire 90, or rarely does. Um and you know when he's on the attack, he seems very tentative on the ball. He doesn't want to make, you know, you know the killer pass, or he doesn't want to make the, the 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 cross. And when he does, it's usually terrible. So I mean, he usually does not he does not have enough confidence to go forward. And even though he does get forward, it just seems like as soon as the ball's at his foot at his feet and he's in the final third, he just kind of kind of turtles up a little bit. And um, you know, if I if you're asking me, I think that he's on a he's on a much shorter leash than Sony. Um, and I think it might not be long before we do see
2: Brandon by more often uh, out on the right. Well, Brandon buy went in for Somi though last night. Do you read anything into that, Brian?
1: I don't know. Yeah, that was interesting. That was uh, that 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 was interesting to see that. I I don't I don't know what to make of that. I I thought if anything he would. I think the only thing you can think of is that Somi was on the yellow, um, and maybe that's the reason why. Um, but yeah, that was that was really interesting. I'm not really I really
2: don't know what to make of that. Well, it, it's curious in two respects because one, Brandon Bayh is not going in for Farrell. He's going in for uh, Somi. But the other thing, too, is that it wasn't Chris Tierney. I thought that late in the game, I think Brandon Bayh is not that experienced a defender. I think if you're going to play him as a fullback, it's going to be for going up, looking for crosses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think that late in the game, I would have take. I would have put Christiani in because he's a, a more a veteran defender. I think he's a little, he provides a little more stability along the back line. So I was really surprised by that substitution all the way around. Um, I wasn't totally surprised. Somi can't, went off, uh, especially when he got the yellow. But um, I, I was very shocked. Brandon By went in for left back uh, last night.
0: Well, the other thing that struck me there is I got in a conversation with a, a Reds fan on Twitter this this week about you know the composition of the Revolution bench and if you were to put. Lee went on it, who would come off, and, and they were saying that, you know, you can't take off one of the defenders because, well, you need Chris Kierney to fill in for Gabriel Somi, you know, you need, you need De La Maia to fill in at center back, you need Brandon at right back, but, you know, if, if Friedel's comfortable putting Brandon Bay in for for Gabriel Somi, why do you need to carry two two uh, fullbacks on the team? Why wouldn't it make more sense to add an extra offensive weapon to the bench? And, and you know, that's, that's my question now. If, if Brandon Bay is capable of, you know, if you're comfortable putting Brandon Bay even for just a few minutes... At that position, uh, you'd think you might want to carry a more offensive bench, but <laughs> we, we've we've uh, spoken to ad nauseum about why Lee Wynn would not be that guy. But it'll be interesting to see what happens when when Callen Rowe is healthy again. Um, and, and with that, we had some several good questions from our listeners this week. Greg, do you want to take us through some of those?
2: Yeah, sure. Um... Let's start out with this one because I think this is a, an easy one. Uh, was uh, Tyler asked? Was this time we play? Was this the last time we played the Aztecs? I mean, the crew in Columbus.
0: And, and if you didn't get that reference, there's the Austin Aztecs soccer team. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think it might actually be that, and it's disappointing to me. We talked a, a bit about this last week, but um, you know, the crew have been a mainstay in MLS since the beginning. They were the first team to build a soccer-specific stadium, but it just strikes me that. You know, PSV, their ownership group, has absolutely no interest in keeping them in Columbus. Everything that's come out makes it seem like they're pushing hard to, to move this team to Austin. Um, you know, maybe they're here another year next year, but I don't think this team is long for Columbus.
1: Same. It just seems like all, all, the, all the machinations are, are – all the signs are that, you know, this team will be in, in San Antonio next year. And it's – and like you mentioned, Sean, the, they were the first team to build a soccer-specific stadium. And it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was actually – but it was actually 19 years ago that they did that. So, I mean, it just goes to show how fast things in MLS change. Um, you know, they were the first team with a soccer specific t- stadium. They were like, that was like the first real mark of, hey, this league is pretty much here to stay after they're building soccer specific stadiums. And just to see all that has taken place since then. And now they're kind of like, you know, they're the outdated team, they have the outdated stadium. Um, and unfortunately, that's, that's, you know, it just goes to show how fast things move in MLS. And it is, it is kind of sad to see a team like that. Um, if if all the uh, you know if all the signs that are pointing to them uh, going to San Antonio are true, that they just you know a team that was you know cutting edge not not twenty years ago is you know looking to move completely relocate
2: uh, and you know and
1: say goodbye to one of the original ten markets.
2: Yeah, and to answer the question, that was the last time we played in Columbus, unless they make they meet up in the playoffs, which I I cannot see happening, but. Just to go on a rant about how ridiculous this whole thing is, Um, and and as you guys know, I'm going to make a really uh, personal admission here. I don't want this to affect how you guys see me, but as you guys know, uh, I'm half Canadian, and my mom grew up in Montreal, and she was a big baseball fan, and she lost the Expos about 15 years ago. I know that being Canadian might change your opinion of me, but uh, I, I think... I look at this situation as kind of comparable to ma- uh, Montreal and baseball and how moving baseball out of Montreal completely destroyed that market for the sport probably forever. And I look at soccer as this sport that's really growing right now. And you're, there is a strong fan base in Columbus. I know it doesn't draw big crowds like you know, the other cities like L.A. and Seattle and Atlanta, but you're really going to destroy soccer in that city. Uh, and, and the other thing that I can't believe they're doing is that they're doing this to move the team to Austin. It's not San Antonio or Miami or even Cincinnati. They're going to put an expansion team in Cincinnati. It would make so much more sense just to move from Columbus to Cincinnati because that's still the same team. You probably have feelings of that team in Ohio, but instead they're going to move it to Austin, Texas, which is not a proven market whatsoever. Uh, I think it's absolutely ridiculous what they're doing, and I don't think this is well thought out at all uh, for MLS. I think it makes everyone in that league office and the ownership look – absolutely terrible that's my rant
0: well and you you mentioned cincinnati too i'm curious what your guys thoughts on that because a lot of news came out this week that they're making great progress on the stadium uh does it make sense to expand to cincinnati a market that would be the smallest in mls and austin also would be the smallest in mls um, when there's markets out there like phoenix and detroit that have shown some appetite for an mls team Uh, is it crazy at this point when the league is getting to a point where you know you don't want to get too much bigger uh, to be focusing on places like Cincinnati and, and Austin when there's those other markets out there that don't have teams.
2: I mean, Cincinnati is drawing huge crowds with their USL team. So I, I you know, they uh, of the cities that that should expand, I would put Cincinnati on the short list. But I cannot understand why. Well, Sean, I, I think you uh, you've mentioned before that Austin had their USL team and they drew four thousand fans a game, whereas Cincinnati is drawing twenty five thousand fans a game. I, I totally understand why the MLS thinks Cincinnati should have a, have a team, but Austin is an unproven market. I, I can't understand any reason to why Austin is a better market than Columbus. I don't understand why. I, I, I don't get it. Rant over.
0: All right, what else we got?
2: <laughs> I'm very <laughs> impassioned about it. I think it's because I lived it Sean because oh, I, I lived it
0: no I mean the thing too is you just look back at Columbus with all the, the fond memories of what the U.S. men's national team has done there and not so much this right. past cycle but you know, there, there's so much history there as a U.S. soccer market and it's such a shame to, to see that potentially all go away
2: yeah um, what are our thoughts on uh, <coughs> Kaiseto in the middle so far
0: Alright, well I I think casado has been good in the middle. I was surprised that we've seen him more playing out in the wings in some of these games. Uh, so it was interesting to see him transition back with, with Zahibo uh, back there and give an opportunity to Juan Aguadelo to, to get the start. And Aguadelo I thought had a really good game uh prior to being subbed out and you know, contributed with that assist. But you know, I, I think Casado played a played a solid game. And I think with more time in the middle, again he's still only twenty one years old, he could be a, a key contributor uh, for the team back there. So uh, early early review for me is pretty good. He had eighty four point four percent passing, uh, the highest of any Revolution starter. Um, you know he could have more influence in that role than we saw in this game, but uh, I, I'm excited what he could potentially bring to the table. Uh, in, in addition to opening opportunities for guys like Juan Agudelo to to play out wide and, uh, instead of having Scott Caldwell start in the center.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think he had he had a decent game. He had not like he didn't have a show stopping game. Um, and just looking at the ratings, it looked like he was. He was the 7th uh, sem- highest rated, 6th uh, highest rated starter. No, I'm sorry, 7th highest rated starter. So, um, you know, it wasn't his best game, but I think that it wasn't the kind of game where I think we're going to see a lot of him, a lot of his influence, because I think that there are things that are mo- the parts are moving so fast that, um, while he does have some of the pace, um, I just think that it was a kind of a game that, you know, Panea, Fagunas, and, and Agudel were going to take more of the charge, you know, going going forward, so... Um, I just, I think, like you had said, Sean. I think he's going. I think he's going to fill fill that role better as the as the season progresses. Um, but I, I don't think he's done anything that would warrant taking him out of the lineup. I think he's uh, I think he's done a good job so far, and I think he'll continue to get better as the season
2: goes on. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything you guys said. I I, uh, I mentioned too yesterday. Someone mentioned his versatility and that he plays over the field, and I said he's the Revolution's human Swiss Army knife. Uh, he's done a really good job of playing a lot of different roles and jumping into the system uh, really fast. So uh, I've been encouraged. He doesn't uh, get on the score sheet very much, but uh, I I think he's played very well so far. Uh, Okay. So next we got uh, Corey asks, now that Friedel pretty much has Lynn win uh, out of the picture, are the revs better off doing a straight up trade or moving him for allocation money and use it over the summer?
0: I mean, that's a pretty loaded question without knowing (laughs) who the players that would be on the table or how much, allocation or general allocation money they have uh, on the table I, I would have said going into the season if they were making this trade in january uh, you get as much allocation money as you can you get rid of him and you use that money to go out and sign somebody um, as the season wears on and we talked a little bit about this last week um you know it's, it's hard to get a guy from outside the league bring him in and have him have a huge contribution right away when you sign a guy mid-season jermaine jones being the the very obvious and notable exception uh, you know, if, if you can get a proven MLS player, you know, defender, striker, somebody that you know, you know, knows this league and you can step right in, that might be your best bet as far as helping the team this season. Um, because you know, right now it's looking like you know, the trade probably not going to happen until the summer window. And yes, they can do it up until the beginning of May, I believe. Uh, but uh, you know, my thought is if you can get that player, a guy younger than Lee Nguyen, who's you know, proven contributor, and add him. You know, that would be huge, but without knowing, you know, without naming names or, or seeing who that would be, it's hard to say for certain. Um, but I do think the allocation or general allocation of money would have been more valuable at the beginning of the season uh, when they could have, you know, planned what to do with it, or even knowing they had it, planned a mid-season move earlier on to to figure out what they were going to spend that money on.
1: I I have an idea, and this, is, this just came to me. I'm not I'm not saying it was a very well thought out idea, a good idea, but an idea nonetheless. Why not? In order to get either. A better player, or more players, or a little more general allocation money. Why not package win with Cody Cropper, huh? A guy who is a, a, another fringe national team candidate that um, you know doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to have much of a future with the Revs, but at, you know, I, I you know, still young enough to where he has the ability, where he has the the ceiling to maybe uh, play better under under a different coaching system. So. Um, hey, why not package the both of them? They both seem to be on the outs. Um, and you could probably get a decent, a little more, a little more value from, from any kind of trade if you, if you throw in Cody Cropper. Um, you know, that's just my two cents. That's just, um,
2: my suggestion if I'm
1: wearing the GM hat.
2: Yeah. And until this question, I hadn't really considered moving Lee Wynn for a player. Maybe that's what they're holding out for. Maybe they've had discussions for a player. Maybe they have a ton of allocation money that they don't know what they want to do with just yet. So it doesn't have as much value to them. But, um, yeah, I I would I just kind of assumed they would trade for allocation money and then use that money for an upgrade later on in time, but it, it might it might be the opposite case. So um anyway. Uh we got some questions from Paulo. Uh first question, I'm gonna skip to this one because I think we've covered this one already. Uh does Lee Win uh make the eighteen ever again? That no, knows all around. Yeah, I think that's it no all around. Okay, <laughs> we're we're gonna cross that one off just because we've covered that one already. Uh, next, though, is uh, Scott Caldwell, who was removed from the lineup last night. He wants to know if Scott Caldwell will reclaim his starting spot.
1: You know, I think pers- I think it's gonna be a rotation between him and Agudela going forward. Um, you know, I, I, Scott. I think the only reason why Scott wasn't in the lineup this week is because he didn't have that great of a. Sh- well, at least by by Friedel standards, didn't have a great. Showing uh, as a starter in the game against uh, FC Dallas because basically took him off at halftime. So um, I think that was more. in after you know, after that game, you know, Friedel said that he brought in Agudel because he needed more more offense uh, in his in the midfield, and that's why he brought in Agudel for uh, for Caldwell. So I think that was that was more of kind of a leftover from last week where Agudel saw the kind of uh, saw that he got more he got more more offense from having Agudel on the field. I think he wanted a continuation of that in Columbus. That said, I still don't think that Agudelo is really the bat, the better fit versus you know Scott Caldwell. I think um, there will be more games in which uh, it might make sense to start Agudelo over Caldwell. But I think for more, I think going forward, unless there's an injury or unless something changes, I think we're probably going to see a platoon of them, uh, you know, starting uh, from week to week or every other two weeks or what have you. So. Um, I by no means do I think Caldwell's lost his starting spot. I think I think you'll see him back in the lineup uh, before long, and I think it'll be a rotation between him and Agudelo.
0: Yeah, and I I really agree with what Brian said there. To me, you, you look at what happened last week. The Revolution got shut at home. Uh, I'm sure Brad Friedel saw that and you know, thought they needed more offense. And I'm also sure that you know Juan Agudelo probably had a, a strong week in training um, that made that an easy decision for him to put him out there. But you know. Friedel seems like a guy when, when things are going wrong and they, they did against Dallas, you know, knows when it's right to make a change and uh, w- was willing to make that change this week and, and substitute you know, some defensive present from Scott Caldwell to get Juan Aguadelo's offense out there. Um, but uh, you know, I agree with Brian. This is going to be something that's situation by situation when the Revolution are in a position where they you know, need to hold possession more and, and play more defense. Uh, Scott Caldwell will be out there when they need a little offensive bite, might be Juan Aguadelo. So I, I certainly don't think we've seen the last of Scott Caldwell in the starting lineup.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you both. So I'm just going to move on to the final questions. And it kind of leads into our preview of next week with Sporting Kansas City. But uh, will there be any changes to the lineup? And is Sporting Kansas City the best team in MLS? Well, I,
0: I will field the, any changes to the lineup first. Um, and I, I think Brad Friedel was probably relatively happy with the performance last week. Uh, we talked about the fullbacks. I don't think we're going to see that change yet. You know, that might be something that happens further down the road. Um, you know, I I think Teal Bunbury you know, earned the starting spot again up top. Um, you know, again, I think the, the, the one change is what we just talked about is maybe we see Scott Caldwell. Um, and Kansas City is a, a very difficult team and a physical team. Um, and I don't know if you know if that's a situation where you put Scott Caldwell over Juan Aguadelo. But um, I, I don't think Brad Friedel is going to be too disappointed with this team. The offense was you know very effective in this game. Uh, defensively there are question marks, but I, I think the center backs played well enough where that won't change And I don't think the options are good enough at fullback where well, that'll change. So you know more likely than not I think we see the same
1: lineup And to answer the, the part about Sporting Kansas City being the best team in the league. I would have to say yes um, Man, they are just uh, they just destroyed Vancouver and I mean that's not the only reason why I'm saying they're good um, Obviously that was uh, that's obviously their latest the latest performance and obviously it looked great in that game um but wow like they are just you know I think they're I think they're unbeaten their last six um, and they just you know they look like they have all the pieces to to make a deep run now I say that to say this we all thought that New York City FC was also the best team in the league that they were gonna really kind of bulldoze through the league and they've kind of lost a little bit of their form as of late but um, but wow Sporting Kansas City has really looked good and um, easily the, the strongest test the Rebs, will, the Rebs have, have faced so far this season so um, you know the good thing is that it's it's at Gillette Stadium. You never really know, um, you know. As as that anonymous poll said, Gillette, play, Gillette Stadium is a weird place to play. So obviously, that can that can only help the Revs. Um, but yeah, they're they're gonna have their hands full against guys like Gutierrez and and Johnny Russell, um, because you know those guys have obviously shown that they they have they have no fear of putting the ball in the back of the net.
2: Yeah, and to answer the the best team in MLS question, I I'm, I'm still voting New York City FC. And I'll point to the fact that sporting Kansas city's only loss came at home to New York city FC. So I will, I will still give New York the nod uh, just from the head to head matchup. Although I know that uh, by the end of the year, that might be a totally different thing, but uh, I I don't think there'll be any changes to the lineup this week. I think we'll probably see something uh, similar to uh, last week where Scott Caldwell probably comes in around the 55 to 60 minute mark. uh, And then, uh, but I, I don't think there's going to be any changes to the starting lineup, other than Aguadela for Caldwell. Uh, it's been the same lineup uh, as last uh, as last week, and then last week I think they've had the same lineup for three or four straight games. It was something like the first time they've done that since 2005 or 2003 or something like that. So uh, I, I think we've uh, Friedel has settled on his uh, starting eleven, and I, I think it's pretty set moving forward.
0: Yeah, and, and just to jump in on the, as it's for Kansas City, the best team in the league, they've actually gone seven games unbeaten. They lost that first game of the season and haven't lost since. Uh, another team that lost their first game of the season and hasn't lost si- since is Atlanta. Um, and those two teams face off in a couple weeks on May 9th, so that'll be an exciting match to watch. But, you know, my thought on Kansas City going into this year, and we know what Peter Vermees is capable of as a coach, uh, looking at Kansas City, uh, my concern was that they didn't have that, you know, one striker up top that could put away 10-plus goals. Um, and, you know, that was what my worry was, where are these goals going to come from? Uh, right now, they're sitting top of the league with 20 goals, and Johnny Russell is five of them. Um, and he looks more than capable of being that guy to, to score 10-plus goals easily this season, already at five. Uh, so, you know, my concern is, has washed away a bit with them. And, I, you know, I don't know if they're the best team in the league. Um, I know, you know, Toronto has been atrocious. But, you know, part of that's because these, these last two games in particular, they played complete scrub lineups. Um, you know, and I do think they're going to turn things around and, and, and get back on track, uh, as disappointing as you know what happened to them in the Champions League this, this last week. happened, you know, They still have one more game to turn that around, but uh, I, I still think Toronto, on paper, is the most talented team. I think Atlanta United is a fantastic team. I think they're a bit better than supporting Kansas City, and I expect them to win that matchup when they face off on, on May 9th, uh, but Kansas City is right up there, and they're better than I expected them to be, and that's going to be an incredibly difficult task for the revolution next weekend and and with that i'm curious for what your predictions are uh we'll we'll go with brian so nobody can steal greg's prediction uh
1: it's gonna be a tough game i think uh it's gonna be really really tough for the revs um their defense is again going to be put to the test so i'm gonna say i'm I'm gonna say it's gonna be a 2-2 draw
2: uh by the way, I don't know why you guys steal my predictions. I'm never right. I I, I just wanted to throw that out there that I, we've been doing the score predictions for three years, and I think I got it one time. So uh, uh, I figured you'd swing it over to me first. Uh, but I'm actually not stealing Brian's prediction. Uh, I'm gonna go with a two nothing loss for the Revs this week.
0: Yeah, I, I think the Revolution are gonna really struggle against Kansas City. I'm not sure they're a team that the high press would be very effective against just the the style they play and the the physicality of the sporting Kansas City team. Uh they're nothing really like any team that the Revolution have faced thus far. Um, you know, I mentioned Johnny Russell with five goals. Gutierrez, who Brian mentioned, also has five goals. They you know, they have several guys where the, the goal scoring can come from. Uh, a very dangerous team. Um so I'm with Greg that it's going to be a loss. I'm gonna go a three one for for sporting Kansas City. But I you know, again, this is a huge test for the revolution and I'm excited to see. Uh, you know how this game plays out Uh, but before we wrap things up does anyone have any takeaways for or any any shout outs i should say for the for the last week
2: Uh, i want to give a shout out to uh, a new team in the upsl uh based out of alton new hampshire uh they stayed up all night to think of a really creative name and they came up with revolution united fc really creative really out of the box uh and I, my question is, do you guys think the name Revolution United is a shot at the New England Revolution over how divided their team is over Lee Win?
0: <laughs> oh, I love the pun. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
2: That's the dad joke of the week. I also wanted to do a, a brief shout-out. Boston City FC plays uh, New York Cosmos B next Saturday. Uh, it's the kickoff to the NPSL season. The game got moved up a week. It's the only NPSL game... Uh, on the schedule next week, uh, and those two teams are traditionally two of the better teams in NPSL. I think some teams from the A team of New York Cosmos are actually playing with the B team since NESL is, I guess, on hiatus, you want to say. Yeah, should uh, stop so calling them
0: New York Cosmos B for the time being?
2: <laughs> in, in theory, you probably could just call them New York Cosmos, but I guess it's not official that NPSL, or, or sorry, NASL uh, is, is gone for good. So Still a B team at this point, but uh, it should be a really, really good game.
0: Yeah, I think I heard that, that Danny Zatella, and Chris Winger and some of these guys that were you know, borderline. You know, Zetella are some of the better players in, uh, for the Cosmos and some guys that had you know, potentially U.S. national team futures at one point uh, are potentially playing for the B team. So that'll be exciting to watch right down there in, in Malvin for those of you who can make the trip. Um, and I wanted to give a, a shout-out to, to Mitch Tanter who got – we talked about Toronto playing the uh, the Scrubs this weekend. Uh, he actually got a call up um, on loan and started that game and scored his first career MLS goal, uh, albeit in a 5 to 1 loss. But, you know, a Revs Academy guy that got in the score sheet in MLS match is certainly something to note on um, that one.
1: I'm going to give a shout out to uh, another BSSL team this year. I'm a little bit of a BSSL geek. Uh, I'm also a kit geek. And so I want to give a shout out to the, uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Onita FC, who, unveiled their new kits this past week and uh they're really awesome i love them uh so i want to give a shout out to them uh as uh as a fellow as a fellow kit kit nerd kit geek um they've got some pretty sharp they got a pretty sharp look
0: speaking of kits what did we think about the uh, revolution and crew kits this past weekend for earth day
2: they're all right i like them i like them i wasn't um, over i wasn't i wasn't a huge you know i didn't hate them but i didn't like them i'm not i'm not i'm not opposed to them wearing them again but i'm not really like oh those jerseys were so amazing (laughs) they're okay it's charcoal black i like that they
1: were made out of plastic because (laughs) if you're talking about recycling things hey oh boy let's let's make kits instead of like something useful (laughs) Well, I, 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 yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know how. I'm no kit expert, but like, plastic yarn is that breathable? How does that? How does that work as far as as far as sweat and everything? I, I don't know. I, I do talk to an expert on that, but I, that was what was going through my head. Plastic jerseys? How does that work?
2: Yeah, is it? I mean, is it really a good idea for one time jerseys? Shouldn't they be recycling those jerseys?
0: Well, well, Get maybe it? they did after the game.
2: <laughs> no, I mean for another game. That was oh, a really bad oh, dad oh, joke. Was, I outdid was, my dad joke. Yeah. I <laughs> You didn't even get the joke. You didn't even get it. That's how bad it was.
0: I mean, that's generally how a dad jokes should be. So I know. <laughs> but but on that note, I think we can call it a night. Uh, as the revolution, as we said, uh, at home next week against Sporting Kansas City, who are on the league's best unbeaten run at seven games. Um, that one will be an exciting one to watch. So we'll be back next week to discuss that one. Thanks again for Brian and, and Greg for joining us. You can follow Brian at Brian O'Connell twenty one. Um, on twitter and greg could you give your twitter handle
2: uh it's g johnstone 12 but also follow us at @revolutionrecap. revolution recap i don't tweet about soccer on my personal account but i do on at revolution recap
0: yeah so be sure to follow us there and you can follow me at sean Donahue. thanks again for listening